horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, everyone, to Trip Talk. Glad to have you with us. Today, we are going to be, as it were, on the road to Roswell, New Mexico. It is a place much known, much beloved, and endlessly intriguing to anyone who looks to the skies wondering if we are alone on this planet. And if you want a radio guide, a podcast guide to the glories of Roswell, you couldn't do better than Donald R. Schmidt. We're so happy to have him with us today. Don Schmidt is co-author of several best-selling books on Roswell, one of which became the TV movie Roswell. He has appeared many, many countless times on TV and radio, including Oprah, 48 Hours, and The Today Show. The list of programs goes on and on. Don Schmidt is a consultant for the Sci-Fi Channel's documentary, The Roswell Crash, Startling New Evidence. And, And I saw that. What an incredible program that was. So we turn our eyes toward Roswell, New Mexico, as we get to speak with Donald R. Schmidt. Don, such a pleasure to have you with us today. Gary, it's always good to do anything with you, so thank you for having me. Let's get right to it, and I envy you. Let me start with that, Don. I envy you all of your experiences, any one of them, as a matter of fact, because I am not yet fortunate enough to be able to say that I've been to Roswell, New Mexico. That remains on my bucket list. And when I go, I anticipate that I'm going to be taking lots of photos and meeting lots of people. And I dare to say that you, Donald Schmidt, would be one of the most recognized faces in town because of your many experiences going there to celebrate all things ufological in Roswell, but also with your very deep research into the subject of the alleged, still alleged, UFO crash back in July of 1947 around, not in, but about 75 miles, I guess, from Roswell, New Mexico, which caused a great furor internationally. Then, I think you'd be the first to agree, Don, it went away for a while, and then the whole subject was revived as nobody could have predicted or imagined, in the late 1970s. And there were people who decided that the story needed to be broken. It needed to be brought to the attention of a new generation of people who wonder whether indeed there are extraterrestrials out there. And thus enters Donald R. Schmidt. Please tell us how you got involved, particularly with Roswell, and how your research has developed over the decades. Very good. Well, I was a special investigator for the late Dr. J.L.N. Hynek, who uh, will certainly go down as the foremost authority on the very subject of unidentified flying objects. He was consultant to the Air Force Project Blue Book for almost 20 years. Uh, Currently on the History Channel, they have the Project Blue Book uh, series, of which Hynek is portrayed of one of the two main protagonists uh, week after week, and I know it was just renewed for a second season, which has just started. And what is the uh, the one case that they're focusing on right now? But Roswell, and uh, they uh, they obviously stretch the um, uh, to take great latitude as far as with the factual investigation of Project Blue Book, who uh, which never investigated Roswell. In fact, it did not even originate 
till five years after Roswell, but that they, the producers felt so inclined as to include what we still refer to as the granddaddy of all UFO cases. So here I was working with Heineck, really had no interest in the case whatsoever. Book came out in 1980 entitled Roswell Incident by Charles Burlitz and William Moore. And again, I was so interested that I, unlike most of my colleagues, I never even bought a copy of the book. And uh, a few years later, when I was appointed director of special investigations at the JLN Hynek Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, I thought, well, they keep talking about this crash, this retrieval of an actual UFO down in New Mexico, Roswell. And uh, maybe we need to dispense of this case once and for all. And as a skeptic, I thought we'd make a single weekend jaunt down to the land of enchantment, as it is, is called, and we'd wrap this up in a single weekend, prove that it was nothing more than a weather balloon device, as the government still maintains now after over 72 years, or something just as prosaic. And I can state to you, Gary, and all of your audience, that um, I was 100% wrong. That within short order, after interviewing first-hand witnesses who actually handled the wreckage, who saw it firsthand, who described it in terms way beyond our technology, even by today's standards. And we couldn't get back to New Mexico fast enough because it was like, oh my God, what if this is an actual occurrence? What if indeed the United States government back in 1947 did recover the genuine article? And the last thing we should do is get caught with our pants down, so to speak, uh, blindsided by the reality of the event. And to date, we have interviewed over 600 witnesses, either directly or indirectly involved with the incident. We've done now 15 books on the subject, seven of them bestsellers. You mentioned the first book made into the Golden Globe nominated best made for TV movie Roswell. And we've conducted five archeological digs at the crash site. And as we gear up to have another one next spring. So the investigation is still very fluid. We are still making every effort to track down every last possible witness. And uh, as we would realize the attrition rate of the World War II generation is intensifying to the point that they're just about all gone. And for me, that's the saddest aspect in all of this. When I think back, 31 years ago when we started, and all those people who were alive, who were vibrant, who were passionate in describing what they witnessed, what they saw, and then to their very deathbeds, that this was not a balloon of any sort. This wasn't a plane, a rocket, nothing that I have ever seen throughout the course of my life. And then to make each new trip down, to New Mexico, I head back again next week. And as I always say, it gets more and more lonely because everybody's gone. All those wonderful people and witnesses who were so brave and courageous to step forward before they died and say, this is what actually happened, ladies and gentlemen. It was not 
made on this earth. And uh, I now represent all of them. I like to believe they're all smiling down at me and still saying, go get them, Don. I think they probably did that when you encountered them, and they do that from the great beyond. To be able to talk to so many of those people, I could go off the list of names just from reading your books, Don. But let me ask it this way. Who, if you could pick one, maybe two people out of all those, over 600 whom you interviewed, was there one person that stood out, maybe two or three, whom you thought probably didn't know all that much about it or didn't have that much to do with it, maybe had secondhand information, and then perhaps you were stunned to discover that they actually had a lot more direct knowledge than you ever would have guessed. Well, I, I'll, I'll name two, and the first would be the late Lieutenant Colonel Edwin Easley. And Easley was the provost marshal back on the base at the time of the incident, the Roswell Army Airfield, headquarters of the 509th Bomb Squadron, which was the first atomic bomb wing in the world. They were the e elite within the military at that time. Best officers, pilots, crew, doctors, nurses. If you swept a broom on that base back in 1947, you were the best broom sweeper in the entire <laughs> United States military because you had a top security clearance pertaining to the atomic bomb. There were none other like you in the world at that time. And the very thought that these people would misidentify an off-the-shelf, very common weather balloon device, I don't care if you want to call it Project Mogul or a Rowan target or a radio sound balloon, take your pick. It's, you know, it's theory of the month, whatever the government proposes, you know, next week, we'll address that as well. But the idea that these men would put out that famous press release on Tuesday, July 8th, announcing to the world that they had actually captured the real thing, a flying saucer. And five hours later, Washington intervenes and goes, no, you didn't. It's just a weather balloon. And then they tracked down all these reluctant witnesses who had been sworn to secrecy, who had been threatened, whose families were threatened, who were told you will spend the rest of your life in Leavenworth or your families will be physically harmed if you ever ever utter another word about this. And one of them was the Provost Marsh, Edwin Easley. He was in charge of all military security on the base at that time. And when we found him in 1990, we have him on uh, tape. And my partner at that time, Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Randall, was speaking to him directly. And no matter what Kevin asked him regarding the incident, his response was the same. I can't talk about that. I'm still sworn to secrecy. No matter what he was asked, I'm still sworn to secrecy. Now, mind you, this is 43 years after the incident. And he's still sworn to secrecy over a weather balloon that a five-year-old child would have recognized. So our first book came out the next year, the, the, the book that the movie Roswell was based on. And we, we sent him a complimentary copy with the hope he would read the book. And some months passed, and we both were down at the Center for UFO Studies, the Jalen Heineck Center for UFO Studies in Chicago, 
And we just thought, well, let's let's call Curl Easley. Let's take the opportunity, see if he, he's read the book and see if he's had a, a change of heart. And uh, we get him on the phone, and his his position remains the same. Yes, I've read the book, but I'm still sworn to secrecy. I can't comment. Well, we had plan B ready. So then we asked, okay, Colonel, that's fine. We honor that. But can you tell us if we're going in the right direction? You see the, uh, the direction the witnesses are taking us. You see what they are telling us. Can you tell us if we are going in the right direction? To which he responded, and a classic military response, which is like a plausible denial without admitting anything, but it tells us everything. Can you tell us if we're going in the right direction, Colonel? And he responds, let's just say you're not going in the wrong direction. I see. So Man. two years later, it's actually a year later, he's dying of stomach cancer at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas. And his granddaughter, in the presence of his two daughters, brings him a gift holds it up to his face and he turns away and he goes, oh, the creatures. And then he apologizes to his two daughters that he could never talk about what happened in Roswell in 1947, that he was asked by the president never to say another word about this and how much he regretted that he could not even share it with his own family but it did happen. It was all true. And what did the granddaughter bring him, which garnered such a reaction? A copy of our second book, The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell. Oh, the creatures. And the second one would be, and he's generally known, and not Major Jesse Marcel, the head of intelligence at the 509th in Roswell, but his son, Colonel Slash Dr. Jesse Marcel Jr. And I'm going to tell a quick little uh, story of what transpired years, many years later, and just before Jess Jr. died. Now he's a he was a practicing ear, nose, and throat surgeon. He's a full medical doctor. He sued, he served two tours in Iraq at the age of 69 and 70 during Desert Storm. He held actual pieces of the wreckage that his father brought home on the way back to the base from the debris field before the press release went out. His father wanted him to see the real thing, knowing that he may never have another chance. And after, in 1997, when the Air Force came out with the fourth explanation adding to the Project Mogul explanation of 1994. And the author of that report, Roswell Case Closed, uh, Major James McAndrew would call Colonel Marcel repeatedly, trying to convince him that what he saw back in 1947 was nothing more than masking tape with flowers painted on them. Not the eye beams with the symbology that ran the length of each piece, but rather just masking tape. 
And this went on and on and on for the better part of a year. So the very last time that McAndrew calls Colonel Marcel, he starts screaming at him, Colonel, what is it going to take for you to finally accept that all you saw back in 1947 was tape and paint, flowers painted on it? And Colonel Marcel went, wait a minute, Sonny. First of all, a little respect for your superior officer here. And I know what I saw back in 1947, and not you or anyone else is ever going to convince me or tell me elsewise. I know what I held in my hands, and end of story. And Major McAndrew, the major author of the Project Mogul Report, then responded, well then, Colonel, he said it very snidely, well then, Colonel, I guess we'll never know what you actually saw back then. Well, it was quite a concession. The very author of that report, which still stands by the United States government, said, well, I guess we'll never know what you held back in 47. Well, Marcel was one of the actual first-hand witnesses, so he is apologizing and disqualifying all of our witnesses, saying, well, then I guess we'll never know what you people all saw back in 47. We're going to tell the world what we believe, but we're not, we concede, we don't know what you actually did see and handle back at that time. Major victory on our part. That's incredible, Don, and thank you for sharing that. That's, it gives me chills. That is an amazing account, a couple of them. Don, I wanted to ask you, this is a show for people that like to get out on the open road. You've done it enough times. If people are in Albuquerque, maybe they flew in because they want to tour New Mexico, which has so many enchantments to offer. If they, want, if they want to go to Roswell, whether it's around the time in early July, around the 4th of July or not, people going to Roswell, speaking in terms of the biggest attractions, the places that you yes, recall yes. and that you'll be seeing again, what can people find there? I know there's a UFO museum which is one of the number one museums in the world. We broke attendance records again last year, over a quarter million people. And as we like to joke, Roswell is a destination city. It's on the way to nowhere. You have to go out of your way, but it's worth the trip. Aside from the museum, we have the Robert Goddard rocket collection, as far as his actual workshop. Goddard was the true father of modern rocketry and the fact that all of his testing and all of the equipment that he used back at that time we're talking the 1930s late 1930s and that collection is at the science museum in roswell the astronaut a, a spacesuit that astronaut harrison schmidt wore walking on the moon is also there part of that collection. And certainly there's a goodly collection of uh, the old west, because just an hour west of Roswell is the small town of Lincoln, famous for the Lincoln County Range Wars, and Billy the Kid, and Pat Garrett, and Garrett's actual home is still just south of Roswell, where Garrett lived after uh, he had actually attempted to apprehend and then killed Billy the Kid, as history would tell us. 
There, we have an observatory in, uh, in Roswell that uh, puts on numerous activities and shows throughout the year. Anyone that is interested in astronomy. And for a town of 50,000 people, would you believe that Roswell has its own symphony orchestra? Oh, really? They put on, they put on concerts as far as numerous times a year. We have the uh, uh, New Mexico Military Institute where ABC newsman Sam Donaldson graduated and uh, football stars Walt Roger Stahlbeck and, and Tommy Brookshire graduated. John Denver was born in Roswell. Um, ah, and, and Demi Moore. Demi Moore was born in, in Roswell. And so uh, it, it's, it's an area that if you seek out as far as history, it will not fail. It's right there. And I know that the whole UFO connection is the main attraction right now. But please, I mean, it, it's worth spending a number of days because every time I'm there, and we're talking, we're approaching over 200 times I've been there since 1989. And I have to cut trips short too often because there's so much I would still like to take in. Peter Hurd and his art collection, and uh, as far as the, the Anderson Art Gallery is also there. So there's just so much for everybody as far as from one end of the ga uh, gamut to the other as far as taste, the arts, restaurants, museums, science, and then the Roswell UFO incident of 1947. The capstone, that's right. You have me thinking, Don, that if people want to make a, a whole adventure out of going to New Mexico, oh, for crying out loud, not only Albuquerque, central in the state, but Santa Fe to the north and Taos, of course. Absolutely. But also, if you're going to Roswell to make that a day or two, and if you're going to travel from Albuquerque out, you probably should stay at least a couple of days. But then you're heading toward that part of the state where you can get fairly easily to Carlsbad Caverns, for Precisely, example. Precisely, just an hour to the south and just another hour and a half to the, uh, well, actually an hour and a half, another half hour west of Lincoln is Capitan, which is the birthplace of Smokey the Bear. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's where they had the uh, terrible fire that particular year. And at the uh, once the fire was uh, thoroughly extinguished, they recovered one lone little cub bear that was uh, atop a tree, shivering and cold as far as from exposure, and they adopted it. And it took on the name Smokey and the beginning, the birth of Smokey the bear. And then another uh, 45 minutes from there is Alamogordo, Holloman Air Force Base and the White Sands Proving Grounds. So you have where all the rocket testing of the captured German V-2 rockets after World War II. So the entire state, uh, just from one end to the other, is just rich with history in that you can take in almost a full quarters history course just traveling through New Mexico. And again, it will not disappoint. I'm sure it will not. That's certain. That's why I say it's on my bucket list. There are so many things there not to be missed. 
I do want to say, for the sake of just making sure we don't send people in the wrong direction or, or disappoint them if they think, oh, I definitely want to see where the UFOs crash, they're going to look at some intersection along Main Street in Roswell, and they would be disappointed because that's not where it happened. What if they want to go out, and to what extent is it possible to go out to the alleged site of the crash yes. itself? Yes, the very site itself we have prevented from ever becoming a tourist location and mainly for the fact it is still an active archaeological site because we not only continue to excavate and, and and search for possible remnants of the crash we have prevented people from coming out to that location there is a monument stone about a quarter mile from the actual debris field overlooking the site and it too is is rather difficult to get to so just to let your audience know it, it always provided people you know something to photograph uh, the inscription on the stone is uh, very somber very serious as what took place there but in the next few months after the stone has been at that location for the past 17 years we are moving that as well to the museum oh. and creating a proper backdrop. It will appear as it did at the actual site. So we will now have that monument as well at the museum. So uh, one stop shopping, so to speak. And we also uh, need to respect uh, the, uh, the, the concerns and the interests of the ranch owners who are very concerned about someone getting injured or stranded out there. You are talking out in the middle of the high desert and uh, it's always a concern we've had, and that will eliminate that. And uh, so you can see the, uh, you get a taste of the actual site right at uh, the museum. And the other main thing that we're going to be creating quickly while we still have a moment is we're having a full scale diorama of the crash site, the ship, the bodies, the uh, actual terrain, as it appeared to the eyewitnesses back in 1947. We're going to take you there. You are going to be there back in 1947. It's all designed. It's all based on firsthand testimony. The people who will do the actual construction have worked with us before. They're in Hollywood, so it will be like a Hollywood set. And that will also become a permanent display at our museum in uh, the next year. Oh, beautiful. Donald Schmidt, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. You've got me very excited about the prospect of visiting Roswell, New Mexico. I know I'm going to get there, and I hope that I can have a cup of coffee or maybe lunch with you when we get there. What a pleasure that would be. Thanks for joining us today, and I promise you we will have you back for an update sometime soon. Look forward to it, Gary, and uh, the treat's on me as far as we get together down in Roswell. So thank uh, you so much. Thank you, sir. I've got witnesses to that. <laughs> thank you, Donald <laughs> I, R. Schmidt. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road. Also, catch us on American Road Magazine page on Facebook. Until next week, drive safely and dream well.